Vesmir Kai Heinef Il mondo ha Tata Rima Poted Ngete You're listening to The World at Your Fingertips Hello, hey Kate Hey Molly Welcome back, we're here for another episode of The World at Your Fingertips How are you doing today Kate? Yeah, good <laughs> I always feel like it should be like theme music And I know we had the intro before but I'm like da 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 but about, yeah. I don't know. Just, it's like the, the world, bum bum, actually all fingers. Like, yeah, we're like voiceover artists or something. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking, Molly? Uh, I am drinking, so I've gone a bit, I've gone one step further today, Kate, because we had a lockdown purchase of one of those like milk frothers for coffee. I want one of those. Yeah. It's the best thing ever. So I've made myself an oat milk. I kind of want to say cappuccino, but it's not really. <laughs> just frothy milk. Just frothy milk, yeah. <laughs> it looked really great when I first made it, but now it's kind of the bubbles are starting to show and it's kind of sinking a bit. So, oh well. But yeah, that's what I'm drinking. What are you drinking? I mean, I was drinking a coffee, but I've downed it. So now I have the dregs of a coffee left. So I might have to make another one before... Halima joined us. I feel like every episode we, we need to start doing some evening episodes because every time it's like we're doing a morning or like midday and we're just like coffee. I need coffee. Tea, caffeine. Yeah. So <laughs> next time guys we'll have more interesting drinks. We we'll have to choose a less intricate topic perhaps when we do that yeah. rather than what we're doing today which is yeah. BAME in Britain. Yes. I always say BAME or do you say B-A-M-E? I say BAME but I think it's because you say BAME. Yeah, so I just I, yeah, I just say it too. I, I have said B A. I have said B A M E before, but I think because it reads as BAME, I think that's just the the common way of saying it. I mean, I'm um, just going to go with I'm just going to go yeah. with BAME. I think it's this is a really important topic at the moment, in particular with the current push for social change, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's always been very important, but it's becoming even more important and at the forefront of everybody's minds in terms of education and bringing about social change particularly for us in the UK but also in other countries such as America. Yeah definitely and we're sort of talking about not just the experience because I think as two white British people you know you you have to experience it so us talking about how black people Asian people how they would feel in Britain that wouldn't be accurate so we're focusing a lot on this term BAME which yeah. the Cambridge Dictionary describes this as abbreviation for black Asian and minority ethnic and it's used to refer to people in the UK who are not white I, I think there are there's issue with this there's issue with this de- definition because although I say that BAME is really important at the moment in the media with the Black Lives Matter movement. That is one part of BAME. It's it covers a, like a range of ethnic minority groups and particularly in this context within the UK. And so that's something that I think needs to be talked about in terms of whether that's problematic to just have a blanket term to cover all groups. I don't know what you think about that, Kate. I mean, definitely. I think even it's the Cambridge Dictionary, which obviously people trust a lot and they're using this definition of BAME as an abbreviation for people who are not white which is out and out not accurate because it includes minority ethnic groups which Mm. include white minorities such as gypsies and travellers and obviously people know that's (laughs) close to my heart but obviously I'm not pushing into this a white agenda or a white trying to say oh no we're there too and BAME but it's just the fact that this term is being said that it does not include white minorities when it when it does. 
And it's less the fact that I need white people to be included, but it's just the fact that it's inaccurate. And that's being said by the Cambridge Dictionary. And so I'm just thinking what other blanket inaccuracies are being used in association with this term, if that makes sense. And just how many people aren't being successfully represented by it if the Cambridge Dictionary isn't representing them right in the definition, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, com- com- no, completely. So then that calling that into question also calls into question perhaps some of the stats that there are out there and perhaps who they're referring to when they are taking these statistics. So according to diversityuk.org, in 2018, about 13.8% of the UK population was from a minority ethnic background, with London having 40% of its population from the Black, Asian and minority ethnic, or in brackets, BAME, background. So with what you've just said about the blanket term over all of the ethnic minority groups that exist in the UK, is that referring to all of them? Yeah. As I understand it, sort of BAME came into use as like a way to refer to political blackness in the 70s when there was a lot of riots and it was turned into BAME to give it a more um, inclusive and like official name. That's interesting that that's the origin of the term. Yes, yeah, so it's um, already like politicised in that in terms of it was in a protest movement. That's where this ca- categorization came from. So that, but that, then that's confusing in itself, really, because if it's originating from political blackness in the 1970s, to then include all of these ethnic minority groups, when actually it originates from one ethnic minority group, there, there's problems within that in terms of how, how these groups are defined yeah. And how, like, within the UK understanding yeah, of... national consciousness of these groups in general. But also, Absolutely. not only that, is how how these people are being understood by a white majority, but how it actually, the term BAME serves those minority groups. Like, if yeah. within that there's generalisations and a lack of understanding, then how can that term BAME be positive from both sides of understanding and representation? Again, like I said earlier, you can only speak from experience in terms of ethnicity, but even for travellers, they've got another categorisation as GRT, Gypsy Roma Travellers, and that includes eight or nine different subsections of travellers within that one term, and that's one minority within this wider thing of BAME. And so you can already see how much it can be cut up within the population. And I understand that you know, governments, universities, institutions, they're dealing with a large number of people. And so if you try and represent everyone, you almost represent no one. But in this political climate that we're currently in, is it time to get rid of this categorization of BAME? Is it still useful? Is it still serving something that is supportive of Black, Asian and minority ethnic people? Or is it just redundant now because... BAME shouldn't be necessary in the first place and have we reached that point in society's evolution is what I'm questioning. Yeah completely and I think that obviously lots of different ethnic minority groups that exist in the UK and so by categorising the diverse ethnicities that exist in the UK it suggests that by saying BAME then the other percentage of the population are white British which I think can be perceived as problematic as what comes with that is a sort of sense for some people of racial superiority in terms of the cultural identity of that country. And so by marginalising 
these ethnic minorities within a blanket term such as BAME, it can be perceived, and this is, you know, this is up for debate, obviously, and I think it can be discussed extensively, but it poses an issue with perhaps how diversity and multiculturalism is perceived within the UK and the national consciousness of, of UK citizens. Yeah, definitely. I guess it's another kind of othering, isn't it, to categorise yeah, all these diverse groups under the BAME category. And, you know, we had Edward Said's Orientalism, and that was the foundation for a lot of people's understanding of different ethnic groups. Mm. And is this just another extension of my minoritising people, if that is a word, <laughs> but I'm going to make it a word, <laughs> of just saying the black population under this banner is the same as the traveller population, which is not accurate. Traveller population is a lot smaller. And therefore, how can everyone have an equal representation when you're talking, you know, 40% of London's population is BAME, whereas I'm living in near Sheffield and we're a tiny traveller community where we are. So how can this one term represent those two experiences within the UK? But I think, like we said, the major problem with all this is that people not only don't understand the term, but don't understand the breadth of the term and the range within the term. And when you're asking people to represent BAME students, say, in a university, how is one person meant to do that when it includes such a range of different experiences growing up in and entering a higher education institution? And you're asking one person to be the representative of however many minority ethnic groups are all under this BAME banner. And I think, you know, is that not actually helpful for them, for the students? How productive can can BAME actually be? Absolutely. And I think that leads quite nicely, actually, to our guest this week, Halima Jabril, who will be talking with us as the outgoing BAME officer, student BAME officer at the University of Southampton. Hi, Halima. Hello. (laughs) Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. No worries, no worries. Um, so before we start, I'd like to ask what you're drinking. Oh, a nice coffee in a Costa coffee cup. Oh, nice. <laughs> Is it from Costa or have you just made it in the Costa coffee cup? It's for, I just made it in the Costa coffee cup. My sister used to work there. She got a bunch of like the cool like bottles and stuff. So you're just living <laughs> as if we can just nip back to Costa coffee when actually we can't anymore and it's really emotional. <laughs> Costa yeah. in my town is actually open. Is it? I'm living for like some sort of cafe coffee because, mm. you know, my filter coffee just isn't cutting it anymore. It's really hurting me. So Halima, can you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about your background? So you're a University of Southampton student, what yes. you studied and mm-hmm. yeah, just go for it. Tell us about yourself. Um, I'm 19. Well, no, I'm not. I'm 20. Oh my God. I'm in denial actually. <laughs> I'm fully in denial that I'm 20. Anyway, I am 20. I studied at the University of Southampton. I studied history. Um, Going into my third year. I'm Nigerian, but I was born in Ireland. Um, And then I moved here when I was 13. And I've lived here since then. I write sometimes. And I I founded a a magazine called Ashamed for um, women and non-binary people of colour last year. It's going to be a year next month. Um, Didn't you just win an award for that? I think so. Probably. I know I said probably. <laughs> That's something I, so, you know. I don't know. I think so. I can't. I don't know. Wait, I don't know. I want to think for Wessex scene that's related to that, but I can't remember really. So I think I saw that. I just love that you're like, I'm always showered in accolades. So, you know, <laughs> they just come and go. 
That's amazing, though. Um, can you tell us a bit more about it, about your magazine? Yeah, I made it um, because I was kind of getting frustrated because I was pitching to these big publications about race or just like things related to that. And a lot of the editors were white and they just didn't get it or they were like, no, thank you. And it was really disheartening because I've, I've been writing since I was like 15. And I was kind of just, I've been writing for these like small places, which is, it was always really nice because the editors are, are really like friendly and like they want to work with me, which is nice. But like a lot of my peers who were white were just writing for these massive places and I wasn't yet. And I was getting really frustrated. So I was kind of just like, if they don't want me, well, I'll make my own place. And I did. That's, that is, that's amazing. It's, it's incredible that it's been so successful as well and it's not even been going a year. So, mm. I mean, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. I mean, it's yeah. so badass as well that you were just like, I don't need you. I'll do it. <laughs> it took yeah. me a while to get there, though, because I was thinking of making it for a while. But then I was like, I didn't have the money to make it in actuality um, because actually like having a website costs money. Um, but I, I saved up and I could eventually do it. Did you have a lot of people uh, writing for you? Yeah, we have a, a bit of a, a fat team, a big one. <laughs> P-H-A-T, fat, a big, big team. <laughs> we have like nine writers and then I have two editors and then I have two videographers and I have two graphic designers <laughs> amazing wow. so it's really yeah. taken off even though yeah it's just, just at the beginning yeah I think it's nice because I feel like when, when the things we write about like we're critical when we talk about like race or gender and stuff like that I feel like people are just like what people want to learn so I think that's great about ashamed is that it's I think it's a, an educational space but also like a space where we can just like be creative and have fun so we have a nice balance of education and like just having fun without whiteness if that makes sense like the restrictions that whiteness places upon people of color especially getting into media we don't have that in, in a sense so yeah definitely do you want to quickly say like what your website is and any oh, yeah. um, social media and stuff if you want to find our website it's ashamemagazine.co.uk um and then instagram ashamed magazine and twitter ashamed magazine <laughs> okay great I'm, I'm, just like... on your, I'm actually on your web website now it looks amazing just thank you scroll through. so i'm actually just i'm having a a scroll through your through website and i'm on your team and i've seen mm -hmm. that um you've got like quite a range of people from all over um yeah so one of your editors and videographers is a film production student in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and your assistant editor is a communication student from Atlanta. So yeah. it's like quite a international team, which is yes. like really impressive too. It's so weird because most of our audience comes from America and I was like, oh, that's pretty weird. Um, but America and Sweden, which I, I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah. But um, I think it's just because like, when I made it on Instagram, like the sites, the people that I would approach were American. So I approached these people called, um, I think it's Art Open Call, and they promote like artists and publications and zines who like are looking for staff or looking for submissions. And also another place called Gen Girl Z Gang. They're also American, but they share opportunities for people of color. So that's literally why so much of our team is, is American. <laughs> I love that it's though. So cool. And you cover yeah. so many, sorry, now I'm on the website as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you cover so much. So you have politics, fashion, sex, love and wellness, creative writing, music, film and TV, interviews, like it's all there. And yeah. so it's literally like a, a round trip place for <laughs> for everything, it seems like. Maybe a bit too much. We're not too specific. Maybe we should be, but um, yeah. No, I think as long as, you know, you have the audience for it. Mm. broader the better in my opinion anyway um, <laughs> but yeah so obviously 
I mean, we know you as the outgoing BAME officer as the University yeah. of Southampton. And you were the first one in that role, weren't you? Yes, I was. So how was that for you? Uh, it wasn't fantastic. <laughs> I did not enjoy my role as BAME officer. I think it's mostly because I think I before I even knew, but my, my politics was starting to change when I was in second year. So I really thought that I needed to integrate myself into these systems and make change and blah, blah, blah. And I think I was just starting to realize, but I didn't really have the words for, for what I was starting to realize was that like, this isn't necessarily going to do what I want, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like, I think I put my hand on my heart and be like, I maybe mean, I didn't realize the amount of work I'd have to do in this role. So I don't think I did as much as I should have done. But also the role is not clear. So I'm the black Asian minority ethnic officer. And like, my, I think my, my job was to kind of like speak for like students of color on campus or, or make sure that like they had a comfortable and, and safe experience at uni. But my role wasn't really clear. I'd get these messages from different societies of how to make the societies more diverse and all these messages that I feel like you shouldn't be asking me to do this. You know, maybe your society just shouldn't be racist and people would join. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <there's, laughs> there is yeah. these little things that I was, that I was like, these, this is really common sense things that you should take the initiative to work on. It, and it is my job as BAME officer to make sure that like, students have a good time. But I think there was a way my role was used that exhausted me. And yeah. I don't think it should, ha I was still a student. I'm not, I'm not being paid to this role. Yeah, so, but there was yeah. things that I was asked to do that, students of color kind of go into institutions and they also have to fight for their existence here as well. Um, I was reading articles talking about like activist burnout for students of color at universities who have to deal with doing their degrees and also like being activists or, or just trying to make sure that other students are comfortable and it burns you out. And I was so burnt out this year by doing this role because I was the only one. Yeah, I mean, um, even to represent you, everyone mm. that's covered within BAME, it's just yeah. ridiculous especially it, when like yeah. it's so much based on experience and you yeah know, an Asian person coming to university and you're expected to empathize with them help mm -hmm. them and provide for their needs when exactly that's that's crazy for the university to ask you to do mm -hmm. that I guess I didn't I didn't think of it like that I kind of just thought like I could help everybody I can help everyone I can make sure that they have a nice time blah blah, blah. but I feel like these roles, I don't think they're useful in university settings necessarily because I feel like universities have like a institutional problem and you can't just slap on a big officer and be like, yo, we don't have problems anymore. You know, we have a black person who's helping people or do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think to save the day. <laughs> yeah, literally. I think one of my issues, I don't want to drag the University of Southampton because I do, I love going there, but I think all in, um, university institutions have massive problems. There's a lack of black people at the University of Southampton. I feel like I come from a town where there's like no black people. So when I came to Southampton and there was five extra black people, I was like, damn, there's so many of us here because I had nobody who lived, <laughs> I had nobody <laughs> around me who lived where I live now and being in Ireland also. But in actuality, as, as a Russell group, Russell groups don't have a lot of people of color. Why is that? Russell groups don't have a lot of black people. Why is that? And I was thinking like, this is like, that's, that's a massive problem that they have because they don't approach people who are like me. And it's much more complex than black people or people of color not working hard enough. Um, um, nearly half of the black people in this country live in poverty. I was watching a thing with my dad yesterday as well. So I'm just going on a tangent. No, go for it. <laughs> watching this it. thing with my dad on BBC and it was called, Will Britain Ever Have a Black Prime Minister? And it was looking at the statistics of black and white students in education. And it was talking about how half of the black people in this country live in poverty. And as this black student who lives in poverty and this white student who doesn't live in poverty, as they go into school, black students are already behind white students when it comes to vocabulary. 
like significantly. So there's like systematic problems that stop black children from maybe excelling at the same rate as white children. So I don't think it's fair for people to be like, some people just don't work hard enough and we're only going to have to gift and talented students because teachers underestimate black students. So there's like, there's so many issues within the structures of, of the education system. So I just kind of felt like the, the role as BAME officer kind of was performative and it was nothing because I was, they wanted me to do these social media campaigns and just things that like didn't actually tackle like the systematic problems that I felt the university had. I was just being used to, to make it look like they were and to strengthen these institutions that are, I think are, are based upon white supremacy and classism and elitism. And I was coming to that realization. I was like, I can't do this role anymore. <laughs> Yeah, my mind yeah, was just changing like, so much in second year and I, yeah yeah not addressing well, like think, the root uh, of the problem rather yeah, than just yeah. you know painting it a pretty color yeah it's like shooting somebody and putting a band-aid over it and be like there we've done it do you know what i mean mm. well interesting that you'd say that because i kind of want to bring this into the context of national curriculum within the uk mm -hmm. the national curriculum for british history is being brought into question because there's just there are gaps in british history yeah. which is like a huge problem and mm -hmm. they tend to be the the British Empire, the slave trade. I don't know about you guys, but I honestly didn't really learn much about it when I was at school. It was sort of brushed over and then mm -hmm. you, get, you go to the wars that Britain won and you do 1066 and it's just not, it's not represented like black British history is wrought and it's there is just it's so important that it is recognized and it's mm -hmm. um, acknowledged within the education system in order for it to be like to bring the social change that is needed and mm -hmm. that what is being worked towards at the moment so I kind of wanted to ask about your perspective because also they do they cover black history and like an American centric uh, yeah. black history so I wondered what your perspective on that is and perhaps why there is like a neglection of the racial mm. history in the UK. I'm writing an article about this at the moment, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, as a history student, like I, I, I love history. Like when I was at school, I knew I loved history when I learned about Jack the Ripper because I was like, damn, what he did was scary, but like, this is really interesting. <laughs> like history, I think learning about your history is so empowering and I, I feel like history is, has empowered me but like this is a thing that black people have been fighting for for a very very long time I'm reading a book at the moment called Feminism Interrupted and the writer Lola she kind of writes about black feminists like Olive Morris who was one of the founding members of the Brixton Black Women's Group and this is in the 70s and they were working to establish supplementary schools black community bookshops and lobby for more critical education that would teach the histories of colonial violence and imperialism that are suppressed by the British government. So black people have literally been doing this like and since the 70s, but probably before that as well, because the government just don't want to teach you about it. <laughs> they, they, they just don't want to do it. And you, I mean, you can see that. I think what is the black curriculum? The, their request got denied by the education secretary. He was like, British education is broad and it covers all of it, but we know it doesn't. I don't know, they just don't want to do it. And, and this is why people like Olive Morris, like they started their own supplementary schools to teach people about black history and stuff like that and colonialism and the truth about imperialism, because I don't think we can rely on the state to give us the education that we deserve, <laughs> especially for yeah. black students. I don't think we can, because this has been happening since the 70s and before then, and they're still rejecting it. Have, I don't know if you guys saw it, there's a post going around where you can see the rejected 
petitions that, that the government throw out and a bunch of them are to talk about imperialism and colonialism and education and they've thrown a bunch of them out so i just don't know if we i just don't think we can rely on them and i think black people have been trying to to, to make different bases of education for, so we can actually learn about it but yeah i just don't think we can rely on them i think black students have a really hard time in school i know i had a really hard time in school my sister had a really hard time in school my brother has down syndrome and he goes to special school here and i don't necessarily know how they treat him but he loves school but i, I think that's another conversation to have um, about how black disabled children are treated in the schools that they're in as well i don't know if there's enough research on that but i do know that me and my sister had like some <laughs> pretty awful times in school my sister was excluded from school in her sixth form when she was having a panic attack because they thought she was being aggressive so she was excluded oh my gosh that's yeah ridiculous. there's just a lot one of my friends he was wearing his afro to school and boys put um prit stick in his hair they put glue in his hair and he had to cut off his hair yeah. there's just so much like black students just have a really traumatic time under the british education system and i do just think it's time for us to look at different avenues for education and, and try and start thinking of ways around state schools yeah this is what i always yeah. think as well though it's more than just education about history like obviously mm -hmm. it's really important i mean we learn about rosa parks but there was was it paul stevenson who did the boycott against the bus company in bristol and he mm -hmm. was like a major yeah. uk civil rights activist yeah and but we know rosa parks we don't know paul stevenson no exactly uh, but also it's more than just like the history it's it's general like diversity training in schools i think and compassion training and just opening mm. people's eyes i imagine i mean obviously i'm from the north of england and it's very different growing up here i think there mm -hmm. was there was one black family and a few pakistani families in my school but that's just the fact that there isn't the people here and so mm -hmm. when i see kids who don't come across other ethnic minorities like the gypsies were the biggest minority in my school so to me it was a big deal and to everyone around here we'd we'd know more about gypsies than maybe people who didn't live near us if you know what yeah. i mean so it's about that exposure and diversity training mm -hmm. in schools as well and just that is sort of preparation for for adult life just as knowing how to do your taxes it's knowing how to be compassionate and understand mm -hmm. people from other backgrounds as well so i wonder if that's something that needs to be introduced yeah, yeah. then filter. i think it's i yeah. think so yeah because obviously we're through the Black Lives Matter movement, we had the controversy over the statue in Bristol and that mm -hmm. people are like, oh, but that's history. And he, you know, donated to, to schools around the Bristol area. And I guess it's more a fact that compassion training or this, sorry, this is how I understand it anyway. But in terms of being compassionate to the, the black people in Bristol have to walk past that celebrated slave trader every day in a major square in the middle of town. And mm -hmm. can people... It's understanding almost not only knowing the history, but understanding the the legacy of slavery that still exists today and how yeah. we can help manage that and support people who are, are trying to overcome that. I mean, that's how I see it. I mean, obviously I'm a white person as well, so <laughs> who... I don't, I don't even see those statues as like, as people are always like, these statues are about history, blah, blah. I don't think they are. Those statues are literally just about glamorizing certain people in British history who you all like and who uphold white supremacy. Like I don't see a statue of cool people who actually did cool things in history. I see a statue of like a slave owner. Like you're just gl glorifying certain types of people in society. It's not nothing really to do about history, I think, with those types of statues. Yeah, definitely. I understand though when people bring up the controversy over like Churchill 
And mm. it's the fact that, yes, he was a racist person, but he also did other things. And it's the fact that it's not sanitizing either side. It's in my head, if you if you talk about Churchill, you talk about the books he wrote and the, the slanderous words he used, as well as mm. teaching about things. It doesn't, but not necessarily passing judgment on it because it was on a different time. I mean, more probably mm. in the slave traders time in the 1800s than Churchill, which is a bit more recently, but history education about history doesn't have to be about judgment it's just you know i feel like history our history education doesn't even allow us to make judgment because yeah. it only provides us one side of it of anything we never especially especially i'm not like in the history yeah. in the university level i think at university you are encouraged to make your own opinion but in actual secondary school you really aren't because they teach you one side of history yeah i saw helena that you shared an article from Bustle that says uh, what they don't teach at school, a black British history resource list. And it's a really interesting article because it addresses the fact that black British history is not vocalised in the UK mm -hmm. and it should be. And it gives you a very extensive list of books, podcasts, documentaries, articles, ways you can educate yourself by going beyond what they teach mm -hmm. in, in schools and secondary schools and as part of the national curriculum. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why the black curriculum are so important as well as an enterprise and I think lists like these, and and actually this has become quite a big thing in so, on social media as well with people sharing mm -hmm. things online, whether it be Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, of these extensive lists of spreadsheets with lists of different articles, different books. Um, mm -hmm. I know that the book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge has flown off the shelves. Yeah. Like everyone is wanting to read that now, which is really positive, but I think the sort of, the lasting change that needs to happen is actually what you're saying about the the change from Sec the Secretary of State of Education, Gavin Williamson, you know, mm -hmm. needing to actually implement these changes and the fact that it's kind of having to rely on the people of the UK to be able to educate themselves and hoping that that will bring change and whether like I don't know how hopeful you are of that or whether you think that that is going to eventually have a knock on effect or mm. that like more needs to be done. Oh, more needs to be done, of course. But I, yeah. I am, I am happy that people are, are like realizing themselves that we can't rely on our government to liberate us <laughs> in any way, shape, yeah. or form. And people are taking the initiatives to to read and engage with literature. I think that that is a positive. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be an optimist. James Baldwin was like, I hate to be an optimist because I'm alive. So I'm trying to be an optimist. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think that I think that's one of the things I mentioned about how, or, or th I think I'm thinking about because a lot of people are talking about. A lot of white people especially talking about using their privilege for goods and uh, talking about acknowledging their white privilege and we need to go much farther than just like oh acknowledging i have privilege or being like oh i have white privilege and i'm going to use it for good we need to start dismantling systems that enable you to have privilege over other people that's how that's where we have to go and not just oh i acknowledge my privilege i feel like we need to go much further with our discussion about whiteness before we can talk about like the change we're making and there's a historian that i'm really into right now i think his name is like noel or something and he wrote a book or an article about when the irish became white and because race is a social construct so it was constructed at some point and he kind of writes and so this emma darbridge kind of does work on it as well she's another historian she's an irish historian an irish black historian and they kind of talk about the Barbados slave code and I think it was 1661 that it was written that's when the kind of the words white and black came into our vocabulary because the British were kind of 
scared that Irish people who were indentured servants and black people who were slaves were kind of revolting together and there was solidarity between them. So they were like, oh, that's not good. So they kind of that's wrote. so interesting. <laughs> yeah. I wrote this yeah, in my assignment. Is. I wonder if they'll actually, I wrote this in my last assignment. I wonder if my um, lecturer is not a prat and he'll actually give me a good grade. But um... <laughs> that's very funny because I, I, sorry, I wrote uh, an essay during my undergrad so I did an undergrad in English in uh, mm-hmm. in Southampton and we were doing holocaust literature mm-hmm. and um so I sort of was excited because obviously the gypsies were persecuted as well in holocaust literature alongside mm-hmm. the Jewish they were the other alien race so I was kind of interested to see how like learn more about it mm-hmm. and I just got back from a year abroad in Germany so this is where I'd really discovered a lot of information about just gypsies I, it comes to term in my identity basically how to be a gypsy mm-hmm. in higher education but that old life story we'll get back to that <laughs> no, but, um, yeah so basically I got to the course and in the first introductory lecture he didn't mention the word gypsy once and I was right. like wait a minute this is holocaust literature and you're not mentioning the other alien race that was also persecuted obviously he mentioned political prisoners homosexuals mm-hmm. disabled people but gypsies were the other defined as alien race, the same as mm. the Jewish were. And he didn't mention them once. So like me being bold at that point in my life, put my hand up and I was like, what, what is this? Like, what are you doing? You haven't mentioned them once. Are we going to study about them or not? And I got passionate about it because I was mm-hmm. that shocked that he hadn't mentioned it once when it was like a big, it's a massive part of history to me yeah. anyway, especially to me. But he basically never met a gypsy student who'd come mm-hmm. to the university and questioned him. And so I wrote my essay about it. I found my own text that was like a first mm-hmm. account of like a Roman Gypsy in Hungary who'd been persecuted and I got a crap grade. But that's, <laughs> a, whole, that's a whole other thing. It's just, that's just ridiculous that he's not mm. addressing, he's not addressing the fact that there is another point to, like, I don't understand yeah. how he can't absorb that as part of like, even if it's educating himself, like why, mm-hmm. why does that need to be a problem that there is something that he's not addressed before? That's not like an attack. That is something to be learning about. I don't understand yeah, exactly. why. People yeah, have such I a just... hard time taking accountability and just being like, oh yeah, I messed up. Like, yeah. But it wasn't I don't like, I was like it. this is your fault that we got no, killed exactly. in the Holocaust. Yeah. It was, but I mean, like, it would have been very different. Like, I wouldn't be alive if, mm. you know, Britain lost, lost the war. But also, I didn't ask him to stop talking about Jewish Holocaust literature. I just asked him to either change the name of the course to Jewish Holocaust literature or include gypsy text in it. So I think mm-hmm. that's quite reasonable. Sorry, I just got, when well, you were talking about essays, <laughs> and I was like, don't get this down. <laughs> Sorry, carry on what you're talking about before I interrupt. It's okay. Um, I can't remember what I'm saying. Um, no, but he was talking about um, how the Barbados Slave Code, I think it was 1661, but don't quote me on that. That could be a wrong date. I'm not best of dates. But it basically just specified that they just used the words black and white and it kind of wrote about blackness as inferior. And it, it was the first time that Irish people, um, Scottish people, people from Wales, like gypsies, that was the first time that they were seen as white. The, the, the words white was using the same level as the people that, that had used them as servants. So it was the first time that like they were separated by race. The slave code was kind of the, the foundation, the building blocks of, of a white supremacy and black inferiority, like anti-blackness. And it, like white supremacy is within everything. It's within every, like most of our structures. It's within our universities. It's within our government. It's within our, our, our medical system and stuff like that. And it, it, that's the same People are talking about this as well with the presidency in America, because the presidency is gross and built upon white supremacy as well. 
and people talk about like, but we had Obama, but white people, black people can also be the face of white supremacy. And I think people find that really complex to understand because Barack Obama bombed more Middle Eastern places than, I call him Baby Bush, but um, <laughs> <laughs> Bush Jr. He bombed more places in the Middle East than Bush Jr. Ferguson happened under Barack Obama and things didn't change. So you can put black people in, in, in these leadership positions of these white supremacist institutions, but it doesn't change the fact that they're at their core white supremacist. So we need to start having conversations, not just about acknowledging privilege and being like, I have white privilege. You need to start talking about how you can abolish systems that give you your privilege and abolish the construct of whiteness, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's what the historian Noel is talking about. Noel, I can't ever say his last name, but he's a historian, an American author and historian anyone interested uh the historian that halima was just talking about is noel ignatiev uh, if you wanted to look him up and look up his work yeah but i think it's really interesting because i guess that feeds into the idea of this reductiveness of being i'm a black person therefore i'm not racist i'm a white person therefore i am racist or i'm a conscientious white person therefore i'm not racist and it's like no you have to be a rounded person who was being anti-racist. It's all about more than just your race. It's about the, the actions that go along with it. And you're either choosing to feed into institutional racism or you're actively working against it. Acknowledging mm. it isn't enough yeah. anymore. But I think that also feeds into how BAME uses like a institutional acronym and like categorizing system mm. in order to, to say you're in this section, we're in this yeah. section. That's reductive again. And so I don't know how you feel about, do you think institutions should stop using the word? I think people should know the history of the word. So like BAME originated in the 1970s by an anti-racist group to create solidarity for marginalized people in this country. Mm. And it's the same with the term people of color or woman of color was created in 1977 by black feminists to unite marginalized women. So I think at the core, these words are good. I think they were created by marginalized people to create solidarity and to fight against these systems. Um, even if sometimes we don't have the solidarity we'd like to have. So I think it's an idealistic term, but I don't think it's bad. I think it's nice to have idealistic terms to, to know where we can go. These terms are terms of, were terms of solidarity when they were first created. I think it's the way people use them now that has kind of tarnished what they, their original intent was. And it's, it's just the way like Matt Hancock was asked, do you have any black people in your cabinet? He was like, yeah, we have a bunch of black, Asian, minority, ethnic people. We have Pretty Patel. You know, it's the way white people uh, or, or corporations kind of misuse these words that ruins the original meaning of them. Yeah, it's like ticking a box almost. Like we're, we're pursuing positive action because we mm -hmm. have this number of yeah. BAME people in our institution. But um, this is maybe a really niche question, but obviously like BAME includes, as we said in the introduction, uh, mm. white minority ethnic groups like travellers. Like every time I talk to you, Helene, I'm well, sorry, I bring up travellers, but like I don't know who else <laughs> to talk to about it because I'm kind of like, <laughs> we don't. Did you know that only 70 students, traveller students, went to university last year through UCAS? Wow. 70 out of 600,000 that are in the UK, roughly population wise. And mm. so, like, in terms of higher education, no travellers go to higher education. So I just think mm -hmm. it's interesting that all of a sudden there's, like, one or two... I think I am the only traveller in the university who identifies as a traveller, but there's, a, there's an issue of identifying it. So we have to tick a box saying we're gypsy traveller, 
but obviously you just go white British as well. And it's almost mm-hmm. simplified and it's easier just to tick the box of white British rather than gypsy or traveller and feel uncomfortable with people being like, oh, so you're the token gypsy or mm-hmm. I don't know anything about you. Or generally, we don't like you because you steal everything, which is just, you know, not, not true, um, in my opinion. And so, well, in my opinion, it's not true that all gypsies steal, full stop. But um, do you know what I mean? So I don't know if you've yeah. ever... I just want to sort of talk about how like, how the census asks you to tick a box saying you're this and how that is almost not reductive, but it's complicated in itself for some people because, you know, we're not all just one thing that we can fall under one category, like within the 18 ethnic groups that are on the census. So I don't know if, how you feel about just generally categorizing it more broadly, whether you know how it could be done better or you've read anything or just what you think generally. I don't know how it can be done better, honestly. Um, I mean, I'm not asking you I... to solve the world for me. <laughs> like, I know it's super complicated, but I just didn't know if no. you had a, a different perspective on it. Mm. I used to get really confused when I would, when they'd ask me to fill up my thing because coming from Ireland, when when they'd be like, oh, black British, I'd be like, oh, I can't take that because I'm not black British. So why isn't there like black Irish? And I used to get really confused about where to click. But I mean, where to take by, obviously I do know it was, uh, the one I meant to click is like black African or whatever. But I used to get really confused because I'd be like, why is it say black British, but not black Irish? Yeah. And um, then you have to just be like, I'm black first, Irish second, even though you've grown up yeah. in Ireland. And it's like, yeah, what? Like so it's, it's not, confusing yeah. for me at first. But you're but, not choosing... But I, I mean, know. a white yeah. person doesn't have to say they're white first, Irish second. They're just Irish. Yeah. Which mm. gets me. Yeah. <laughs> I was very <laughs> confused before. But I feel like I don't know how to change it or how, like our government or institutions want to change it. I feel like the most we can do is just change our language. And this is why I was talking about the misuse of these terms, because I think these, we get lazy with these terms and we just say, oh, Bane people or people of colour. Like, you can be specific with your own language. I feel like that's means like teaching ourselves. I-, I was editing an article, this girl wrote an article for Ashamed and she's writing about South Asian people and about South Asian racism, about how they themselves can be really anti-black. And she kept using the term people of colour when she meant black. And I was like, you need to just say black. You need to not be afraid to use the word black because not all people of colour suffer this impression. Yeah. So if you're like, you need yeah. to be specific. So I feel like we just need to teach ourselves. Sometimes these terms are appropriate, sometimes. But, and that's why we need to learn the history of where the terms came from so we can use the terms appropriately. But we do just tend to be very lazy with these terms when we are, if you're specifically talking about an Asian person, use the word Asian. If you're specifically talking about a black person, use the word black. You don't need to use these terms. So I feel yeah. like, I don't know what we can do to necessarily change the way the government or our institutions use these words, but I know that we can change the way that we speak about yeah. with using yeah. these terms. I guess I that's think just... there's a definite like reluctance or perhaps even like nervousness for people, which is yeah. why I think educating yourself is so important because I think mm-hmm. there is there is something where people are like, oh, uh, oh, have I said the right thing? Yes. And I think so by educating yourself, by reading these resources that are mm-hmm. available now and readily available and in so like not things that are expensive or anything like that is literally just go online and read mm-hmm. and, and listen and watch and everything. So I always find it I really think... funny when people are like, I'm so scared to say the word black, but I'm the same people who will say the N word in a song. Like, get over yourself a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah like it's but it's stuff like that isn't it i think it's people just having to kind of the lack of a way of saying it i think people need to push through this if it's even if it's like a discomfort and just educate yourselves 
and be able to understand what language is appropriate to you mm-hmm. and not generalize and yeah like you say be lazy with it yeah mm-hmm. like what is your root of that discomfort like are you mm-hmm. discomfort yeah. because you're 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 scared of black people but mm-hmm. why are you scared you're scared because you've been taught to be scared by how you've grown up or the people you've grown up around but that's so true yeah. you actually have to interrogate why you feel discomfort and that's the first step you have to do because either you are scared of black people and you need to recognize that or whatever or you're realizing that you've never actually had to think about race or racialization as a white person and notice that that's a privilege that you have that you just don't have to think about race yeah definitely but also like if we can't count on the education system in the UK at the moment to educate people on race, then it's a case of educate yourself else you're almost mm-hmm. part of the problem because if yeah. you have kids, you're not gonna educate your kids because you're not educated yourself. So yeah. yes. and bring them into conversation, bring these, bring mm-hmm. these discuss- like this education into conversations with others and like start mm-hmm. this dialogue with people to be able to bring this self-education if it's not possible within the current national curriculum. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Educate yourself, boom, yes. <laughs> educate yourself and go to protests safely yeah safely definitely i went to the one in southampton actually and it Mm -hmm. was it was a really good it was really i felt like it was a really important experience i'm so so glad i went and obviously it's Mm -hmm. something you do have to be safe with in the current moment but also i think it's very important you go even though obviously we're living through a very strange and uncertain time with the coronavirus I think it is possible to be able to go. And I shared something yesterday, which basically said on a basis of uh, statistics in the US, there hasn't been no spike in the coronavirus due to the protests going on. So I, whether that's true in the UK, I'm, I don't know. But the fact is that if you're doing it safely, then you are, you're doing something for the greater good. Yeah. And it's important that you do it. Mm. I yeah. think a lot of people have more time to step away and realize how narrow their view is when they're going to work and they're busy and they're worried about rent and stuff. When, you, when you're stuck at home and you're not working, you have time to self-evaluate a bit more and sort of yeah. widen yeah. your view on being like, why do this I- This is why we should abolish capitalism. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nine to five are the killer of everything. Abolish them. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that, just shout. Educate yourself, abolish capitalism. Capitalism, <laughs> abolish everything. Yeah. This time has literally <laughs> radicalized my brain. Like I want, literally want to burn everything down, honestly. When you realize how much, how everything is kind of just rooted in, white supremacy and just things that hurt black and brown people everything should just be burned down mm. it can be very overwhelming though like once you get i've been so it. overwhelmed like i've been like fluctuating between like this extreme sadness or extreme anger like as the weeks have gone by yeah. because I, and i feel like a lot of black people because you, you you are seeing it pe- like these corporations be like black lives matter but these are the same people who've actually treated you poorly as a black person so i think this time has actually been quite triggering for black people obviously seeing black people being killed is triggering but also seeing these places that have just treated you so poorly now pretend like they care about black lives when you know they don't is also very triggering as well yeah like the hypocrisy that is now under a magnifying glass because of social media. It's important to recognise the difference between actually engaging with it and just following a trend, which I think has been Mm. a definite problem with a lot. Well, it's definitely arisen from like some businesses or some corporations Mm. who are sort of jumping on the bandwagon when actually it's not, that's just not it. Like it needs to be a, a sort of conscious change 
and not yeah. just something that not just a trend everybody and their mom has been on twitter dragging universities because after they post their black less i think people are like you don't have any black lecturers yeah. you don't accept yeah. any black people yeah well, schools like, as well like secondary schools yeah. as well i've seen a lot of um secondary i'd schools love to drag my secondary school they're absolute trash <laughs> Do it. yeah well i think there have been so i know a lot of schools in my area have had like formal letters written to them signed by lots mm. of well students and ex-students uh, my school included and like lots of surrounding schools in the area and i think it's really important that this is happening and it's i think oh i hope that that can bring around change but in the meantime educating yourself is the best way this as this movement moves forward yeah we can put some links that we've found to make the podcast when we were looking through things and links that halima has shared in the description so it's right there so you have no yeah. excuse people and we'll put, <laughs> we'll put a link to your magazine as well halima. yeah definitely yeah cheers <laughs> amazing well thank you so much for joining us and this has been a really really interesting discussion and so we're so glad that you could come and talk with us thanks for having me <laughs> um so i hope everyone has enjoyed and i hope mm -hmm. that you guys can take away something from what we've talked about so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week